You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he spreads his wing and shouts to the crowd, in the name of God, my father, I'll fly. It's Mr. <laughs> Jeff McLaughlin. Ick! Or us. That's me. So, uh, how's it going? Yeah, you know, it's it's not bad. I'm, I'm pretty happy I'm settling into the new job, and, you know, things are starting to work out good, I guess. Yeah, you seem like you were busy this week. Oh man, it's been it's been crazy madness. But it, it probably means something like horrifying is just looming outside of my field of view, outside the draw distance of my mental graphics card. But I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, I guess. Uh, you get that mentality of like, oh, things are going good. That must mean that's <laughs> right? not what it means. That's, that's the, the bridge around the corner is gone now. Somebody took it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I was just the opposite. I had a, a a couple of months where I was like, boo, like big boo boo face. And I get excited when I get like that because I know that something great is coming. Mm-hmm. That's me being, you know, completely ridiculously optimistic all the time. I try and live by the, the words of Kurt Vonnegut as he referenced his uncle who had watched his, I think he watched his brother like die of a heart attack uh, out of stress mm-hmm. and, and and depression. And there was like suicide in the family and stuff. And, and he made a point of always saying he would sit down with the family and he would he would just say, well, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. And he would take a moment to sort of enjoy the moment and use that phrase. And I've tried to, I've tried to live by that, that approach to life, and not focus on the gloom that I can't see or the doom that's in, hidden in the gloom that I can't see. Uh, sometimes huh. I'm not good at it, but most of the time I am very good at it. I saw a, a real good quote today from Gene Simmons of all people that said. <laughs> It's hard to see your destination when you're focused on the cracks in the sidewalk. And I was like, you know what? Rock on, Gene. And why I still listen to Kiss records and I don't listen to Nirvana records. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, that's really, that's really why. Oh, this is our, our Allison Chains. Like, oh, this is a downer. Yeah, I feel worse after I listen to this. Like, where I can put on a Kiss record and it's like, all right, that was a creepy song about a 16-year-old girl, but everything else was good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's another thing too. Like Paul Stanley, uh, he's he should just put out like a a book of quotes, like kind of like the 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 Psalms from the Bible, but just like right. Paul Stanley. One of my favorite quotes from him says, "I love getting hate mail. I read it poolside. <laughs> I read it poolside. Yeah, I like that. Bro. That's I like that quote. so great. That's what. That's like a great attitude. It's like, yeah, I right, think think what you want. You know, most of it comes from Ace Freely. <laughs> Weird. He puts yeah. his return address on it. It's the strangest thing. Someone should tell yeah. him. He doesn't hey, have yeah. to send his name. You're a real knucklehead there, Paul. You know that? I'm playing to 65 people this weekend. 65, Paul. <laughs> I get free wings. Hey, Jeff. Hey, before Bill. we get into the show proper, I have Uh-oh. my very popular and always well-received trivia question for you. 
Uh, oh I, at the beginning of the show, I made reference to an Iron Maiden song. On the cover of Iron Maiden albums, they have a mascot. His name is Ed. Eddie. Ed the Head. Yes. But that's not the only mascot in rock and roll, or in metal for that matter. Okay. On the majority of Megadeth albums, they have a mascot. He is a skeleton-type figure with wraparound sunglasses and his mouth kind of wired shut. He's got a name, too. What is the name of Megadeth's mascot? Oh, man. All right, I'll tell you at the end of the show. Or will you? Or will (laughs) Will I? I? Probably not. All right, but this is going to be the week beginning March the 6th, and I believe it is your turn to start. Well, hey, wait, let me check my notes. It is. It is my turn to start. All right, uh, March 6th, 18th. Extensive note-keeping. <laughs> extensive note-keeping. I didn't even have paper to shuffle. That's how prepared I was for that joke. March 6th, 1899. Aspirin or acetacilic acid. Like, that wasn't named by somebody who was just taking the piss out of everybody. Uh, is patented by <laughs> Felix Hoffman at the German company Bayer. Doesn't sound like a big deal because, like, aspirin's all over the place, but... Right. Aspirin is a non-habit-forming, non-narcotic pain reducer and fever reducer that doesn't rely on things like opium to make it work. I want you to say that word again. Acetosilicilic acid? <laughs> all right, good luck. Acetosilicilic. 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 Yeah, acetosilicilic acid. It sounds like a test yeah, that a, a policeman would ask you if they think you've been drinking. It sounds like Borky Pig trying to say aspirin. Right? Do you know what aspirin is? It's aspirin. Can you say the scientific name of it? Oh, just take me in. <laughs> I've been drinking. So <laughs> I've been drinking for hours. That's why I'm behind the wheel. This is why people hate me. Ready? Yes. I don't get headaches. Whenever somebody's at my house, I'm like, oh, my God, I got a headache. Can you get any aspirin? Uh, nope. Tylenol? Nope. Advil? Nope, nothing. I, I never have that kind of stuff in the house because I don't need it. I never get headaches. Say so you, At the risk of you sort of jinxing yourself, I'm going to touch wood. So that's <laughs> me touching wood so that you don't start getting terrifying migraines. I take aspirin every day because of my uh, fantastic 90-year-old heart that I have, and uh-huh. it thins out my blood. I also take it as my primary painkiller because of the heart condition that I have. I can't take things like naproxen sodium, and I can't take Advil. I can take Tylenol, but it doesn't always work, and it doesn't have the same effect. So I'm I'm a, uh-huh. I'm like forty percent aspirin pretty much at any given time. Huh. Heart disease is probably gonna be my undoing. I don't have high blood pressure, but my my blood pressure tends to run high. How's that sound? Uh, okay. Well, I mean, not okay medically, but okay, showically. It's like on the high side of normal. So, I mean, I guess eventually my doctor's probably going to say, why don't you take aspirin once a day? But as of this recording, no. I don't have any, like, aspirin or anything like that in my house. Never do. I also take it because inevitably, you know, I'll hurt myself at the gym or doing some other dumb, dumb project at my house that involves hammers and tools. And that generally, if it's something that requires pain medicine beyond an aspirin, I haven't run into it yet. You know, I'm on my feet all the time at the, you know, during the fall during the Renaissance Fair and then the Haunted House and stuff like that. There's a, a dude that I work with, and like first thing in the morning goes, hey, Bill, and he's like, chick, 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 like shaking Advil at me. I was like, what do you want? You want me to start dancing? What are you doing? It was like, no, you, do you want some Advil? I was like, for what? He goes, oh, doesn't your back hurt? I'm like, uh, maybe a little, but I mean, it's like, I don't need to take an Advil for it. It's not that bad. I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, I yell at him all the time. I go, get out of the habit of eating a pill every time you think you need something. Well, pain, Just... pain's, a, pain's a funny thing. So real short off topic. I had to have a wisdom tooth removed that was pushing against the tooth that was not a wisdom tooth, the dumb tooth. And it snapped yeah. off a root. So I had been dealing with this thing for a year. It would swell up and hurt like crazy. And then it would go away and it wouldn't bother me for like months at a time. And then it would come back and it would bother me a whole lot. And then it would go away. And finally, I was in my office at work and I had contemplated stopping at Lowe's on the way home to buy some very small vice grips and rip the tooth out of my head. And then I thought, you know, I could probably just go to a dentist and they would do that for me. Yeah, they're good at that. But the pain was, su- was such that I wasn't thinking clearly. And I went to the dentist and he's like, oh, that's got to come out right now. And out it came. And he said, oh, I'll write your script for some painkillers. And I said, why? And he said, well, you're going to be in pain. I'm like, you don't understand. I was in pain before I got here. And I feel great now. <laughs> like, I don't want any painkillers. And I never, I didn't, I didn't even take a Tylenol. It was great. Uh, all right, let's move on to March the 7th of 2011. Your friend and mine and Tiger Blood enthusiast, Charlie Sheen is fired from the television show Two and a Half Men. So that, yeah, that show was, it was anchored by Charlie Sheen and John Cryer and Angus T. Jones. He was the half of the Two and a Half Men. He was a kid. Right. And show was put out by Chuck Lorre, went on to do The Big Bang Theory and has done some other stuff. And the show was super duper popular. And Charlie Sheen was definitely like the the draw for that show. He was the best known of the three. Right. I mean, John Cryer had, you know, that's Ducky from Pretty in Prank and some other movies. Right. But, you know, Charlie Sheen was the most famous one, but right. he went cuckoo bananas. Yeah, he went, he went way off the deep end. And part of it was uh, chemically induced and part of it may have been like mental illness induced. But they couldn't keep him on the show, so he got booted. And in the rare occasion where they replaced him with somebody who was not equally famous but very close at the time was Aston Kutcher, who stepped in to take on another character role, picking up the pieces and parts of where Charlie Sheen's character used to be. And they managed to run the show for another season or two with him there. And you knew that Charlie Sheen was never coming back? Because they spilled his ashes in the first episode with Ashton Kutcher. (laughs) (laughs) Like... They started with he he died of been cremated and they he sneezed and he blew his ashes all over the stage. And that was the end of Charlie Sheen and his tiger blood on that show. Yeah, so like you said, there was a lot of drugs involved, and you said there might be some mental illness, and one of those can lead to the other. Yep. You know, or they can both converge, you know, into the same road at the same time. Yes. And I think a lot of it too can have to do with like you know just fame going to somebody's head yes you know over the years and you would think that somebody like charlie sheen who was born into fame with his father being martin sheen right and his brother being emilio Estevez, you would think that i don't know maybe they would have a better grip on that sort of a thing but yeah i don't know he was like getting prostitutes and stuff like that <laughs> yeah he, and he was married yeah. to denise richards it's not like i don't mean i don't know how she is personally but you know She's a, an attractive woman anyway. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know, man. People do s- surprisingly unusual things for reasons that I can never comprehend. But yeah. a funny story about Two and a Half Men is Two and a Half Men is the reason I replaced my washing machine and didn't continue to use a laundromat for an extended period and have my old washing machine fixed. And I'll tell you why. Wait, I, because of Charlie Sheen? <laughs> that son of a bitch. Yeah, it's all his fault. I was trapped. There's no end to this there's, man's madness. There's no end. I was trapped in the local laundromat for like six hours doing the entire family's laundry because I was only going once a week on Saturday to get it done when my 
when my washing machine was broken. And they yeah. had like 37 TVs, all two and two and a half men. And I was oh. at like six hour marathon of two and a half men for two weeks in a row. And I broke, I broke and I, I ordered a washing machine from my phone at the laundromat in between spin cycles. Couldn't, couldn't deal with the theme song I, anymore, I, right? I couldn't do it. I'm like, God help, God help me. If I leave, someone's going to steal my clothes and then I'll have no clothes to wear. Also, if I have to watch another half an hour of the show, I'm going to gnaw off one of my arms. <laughs> All right, let's go on to March the 8th. March the 8th, 1972. It's the very first flight of the Goodyear blip. Doesn't sound like a big oh, deal. Wow. Because, no, it does to me. Well, yes. And the years of the airship had already long passed by 1972. The Hindenburg, the R101, and some others had uh, definitely tarnished the lighter-than-air gas-filled uh, bladder-type air f- vehicle. But blimps were different. I'm going to think airplanes kind of put a damper on that, too. Airplanes did put a damper on that. But, I, I mean, for, like, cargo capacity and stuff, like, blimps really had uh, efficiency benefit at the time. Anyway, the Goodyear blimp is a helium-filled blimp, so it's non-explosive, the skin of which is uh, rubber, with the inside bags also being Goodyear rubber. And it was meant to typically to advertise the Goodyear product. There were lights on the side that would display a message this is before led technology so they must have been light bulbs that are built into the side of the yeah the frame of the of the blimp itself and they would fly it over sporting events or over the beaches or or wherever and it would take pictures from the blimp down over sporting event for example and you could watch it go by and it would say like welcome to the super bowl or some other something that would keep having this message roll across it and it was a promotional tool for the goodyear rubber company and Goodyear Tire Company. Now, they used to have one right in our hometown, right? Right in New Bedford. I remember seeing it. Yes, because there was a Goodyear Tire Plant in the south end of New Bedford. Okay. It was there. Well, I, I think it was at the, oh, right. the airport, the New Bedford Municipal Airport, but the, the home of the where it was put together was in that, that factory. Oh, well, I was about to say, that's probably why I used to see it, because I live like two miles from the Municipal Airport. Yep, and it would, it would go up, and it used to go down and around the beaches. Yep, and we could. I could used to be able to see it from my from my house. I could see your house from here. Uh, from my yeah. house, I could see it come across like Clark's Cove, and then turn and go back along East Beach, and then it would go around like uh, up over the North End, and then back down over the South End, and it would do that on on sunny um, Saturday evenings, like late afternoon, early evening. I had uh, a toy of the Goodyear blimp that you could like write almost like digital fake digital messages on i bugged my mother for that yeah and i played with it a couple of times to the point where my mother was like you better play with this thing because i bugged her for it (laughs) you're not touching that blimp enough kid sorry mom yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well you know they're they're starting to the principles that made blimps both useful and efficient are starting to fall back into like cargo planes and stuff now i was just looking at I think it's the world's largest cargo plane, and it and it actually has helium-filled balloons in it that help add buoyancy as well as contribute to its aerodynamics shape, so it can carry oh. an increased number of cargo. And I know that Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, the man who <laughs> flies all things flyable, is part yep. owner of a blimp company in the UK that is supposed to start doing cargo runs back and forth to the EU. There is an interesting man, but that's a discussion for another time. Speaking with toys that I never played with, uh, on March the 9th of 1959, the Barbie doll makes her debut at the American Toy Fair in New York City. Ah, 
And there's like some insane number of them have been sold across the world. Like, I don't know if it's like a billion or not, but it's close to that if it's not a billion. A billion Barbie yeah. dolls. <laughs> uh, they estimate it at about a billion. Oh, yeah. all right. Yeah, that's a lot. And I have vacuumed up approximately one billion Barbie shoes because my daughter used to have them when she was very <laughs> little. And uh, it sucks when you can only find one, as I know from her yelling at me. <laughs> there have been roughly... 170 different varieties of the Barbie doll mm-hmm. over the past 60, uh, 64 years. A lot of interesting things come and go out of the whole Barbie doll world. For one thing, the longevity of it. 64 years and I'm going to assume they still sell them. They I do. don't know. Yes. I'm not some Yeah. But that's like one of those things where I'm going to buy my daughter a Barbie doll because, well, not me, but I'm going to buy my daughter a Barbie doll because <laughs> I played with Barbie dolls when I was a kid. That's like a, a funny like American tradition mm-hmm. that you want your kids to grow up like you did. It's like, I don't know if you know how evolution works there, guys, but it's not like that. Right. <laughs> it's definitely a thing that as time has gone on, the fans of the toy have become older. And it, yep. it, I think it tends to freak them out when they're like, all the Barbies are just in a bin. They're not organized. They're just, you lost half the shoes and probably got vacuumed up. <laughs> like, what do you, you know, what are you doing with those? And, and little kids, when they have them, do the same. Every little kid I've ever met that is Barbie does the same thing. Take all the clothes off of it and they cut the hair off. That's yep, what they do. They put big they're X's like, over the eyes. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Barbie and I've got no clothes on. <laughs> and that, that becomes part of the rallying cry of being a little girl, apparently. And also with like little kids being a lot more tech savvy than any generation before them ever was, you give like a little kid, you'll show it's just like some your friend's birthday, your friend's kid's birthday party, and you give them a Barbie doll. It's like, what the fuck do you expect me to do with this? Right. Well, it's the, that's also one of the weird toys that still has longevity, even though multiple different, I don't want to say knockoffs, but other toys have come along in the same, same style play style yeah. that have tried to uproot them and they're the same but they exaggerate slightly different pieces so like there's the Bratz dolls they came and kind of went it was Monster High they kind of came and went and Barbie has has been able to maintain a base a purchasing base throughout all of that where all of those other dolls have sort of gone and disappeared into the ether of you know toys that are no longer sold there would be a bunch of Bratz dolls naked and leg missing in a bin it somewhere too now right All right, and moving on to March the 10th. March 10th, 1970, in our continuing attempts to rehabilitate the image of Richard Milhouse Nixon, President Richard Milhouse Nixon has a bowling alley built into the basement of the White House. Oh, I picked up the 710 split. Spiro, you're up. Stop putting rosin on your fingers and get going. (laughs) We've, we've, We've got a cabinet meeting in five minutes. I guess, you know, I, you know, that's, I think that's cool. A couple of things. One, it's like, I know he was there for like eight years, seven years, six, seven years or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're really going to be in the place for like a finite amount of years to put a bowling alley in there. But then again, Nixon was an avid bowler. Right. And when you're president of the United States, they don't let you drive a car anymore. Right. I don't think Dick is going to be on a bowling league you know, eating peanuts and uh, nachos right. and stuff like that, waiting for his turn with his local business-sponsored bowling t-shirt. Right. He's, you know? Yeah, he's definitely not going to be down at the Brunswick Lanes, irrespective of, of any president. But 
what a shit job that must be. Like, you can't go anyplace. You can't ever go anyplace. No wonder he had a bowling alley built. If I was him, I would have had a bowling alley with a secret tunnel after it built. <laughs> just to get the hell out, but... Ay. Hey, Jerry, you mind if I come down and bowl a couple of strings? <laughs> right. right, or it's a good thing you didn't love something like, I don't know, horseback riding. Like, oh, Jesus, we're going to build a ring in the basement? Oh, that's going to take hours <laughs> to do. Or, you know, ping pong or some other. Jeez. Well, he did go to China, so maybe he did pick up some ping pong skills. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Or, you know, he came back and he got a life-size Chinese checkers board built in the basement of the White House, too. All right, March the 11th of 1988, England forsakes their one-pound note and replaces it permanently with the one-pound coin. So there are no more what we would call one-dollar bills over in England. Yes. Not since 1988. And did it in a way that made it possible to do and not have a rebellion. Like uh, here, <laughs> here in the United States, we tried the same stupid thing, except we didn't follow through. A bunch of times. Yeah, we made the Susan B. Anthony dollar and then didn't take the dollar away. And we also made the Susan B. Anthony dollar the same size and shape as a quarter, which made it easy yeah, that could to accidentally people, put them yeah. into, you know, a Tetris machine like me. Yep. And only get one game and not four. And then the, with this uh, Sacagawea dollar, it's a little bit bigger than a, a quarter, but not that much bigger. It's a little bit heavier, but not that much heavier. And it's hard to... Interesting story. Interesting story about the Sacagawea dollar. The company that I used to work for, um, I'm not going to say their name, but it rhymes with Molin. <laughs> anyway, they developed the alloy for the Sacagawea dollars, which is why they were that... that it was like a gold alloy. Right which is why they were that bright gold color when you first got them and why they now look like a rusty nail <laughs> because the alloy didn't like really work and they faded into just garbage uh, in a short time. Yeah, the only way that, that the transition from paper dollar bills to coin-based dollar coins, you have to take the dollar bills out of circulation. You just can't leave them out there. So you'd have to go to the bench and say, like, everybody has to turn these in by this date or they're not going to be valid anymore. You'd have to live in a country that doesn't resist change like we do. <laughs> and that's not that's yes. not a play on words Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. We are definitely shotgun wedded to our past and there's no mm. escape. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, which I go to occasionally... They've forsaken all of their paper money under $5. There's $1 coins and there's $2 coins as well. $2 coins is just as much as two $1 coins. It's, yes, it is. Uh, which was confusing to me because I this guy kind of like panhandled a dollar off of me and I gave him a coin, which I thought was a $1 coin. He goes, that's a two. And I was like, well, just keep it. I mean, whatever. Right. Here, yeah. take it. There you go. Thank you for the extra information. Here's a $1 tip. Yeah. I made him tell me a joke. When I was in England, I didn't understand how the money worked. One, it's all different sh sizes, which yeah. freaked me right out until somebody said, this is so blind people can buy things. And I thought, wow, we hate blind people in the United States. That's why our money's all the yeah. same, same, same size. And then I had coins and I didn't know what to do with them. It took me a little while to, to sort of figure it out. But once I did, I could appreciate it. Like pound coins are easy to carry. You, they have a weight and you can tap your pocket and have an idea of how much money you have if you don't have a ton of money. You know, yeah. it keeps you from buying yep. things unnecessarily, too. They're, they're, they're great. We should do that here. But we'll never will. No. And let's wrap up the week on March the 12th. March 12th, 1996. MTV releases the album or the sound, I guess the soundtrack from MTV's Unplugged session featuring Kiss. And uh. that album sells so well 
that mm-hmm. I'm sure that the conversation was like this. So this telephone ring. And then, hello? Uh, this is Gene. Uh, we've sold like 100,000 of those MTV records. We should tour. And that started the KISS sort of uh, reunification era. I watched it. That was one of the yeah, few me too. Uh, episodes that I actually like watched of MTV Unplugged. That was a very popular show. I watched a number of those, but that one I definitely tuned in and watched. Yep. And it was really cool because they came out with KISS, which the lineup at the time was Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Eric Singer, and Bruce Kulick. Yes. Then during the middle of the show, they brought out Peter Chris and Ace Frehley. Yep. And at one point, all six members were playing yes. on the stage at the same time, which was phenomenal. I mean, the, I mean, we had been waiting as KISS fans. We had been waiting for the KISS reunion since... 1980 and 1982 when Peter Chris and Ace Frehley left respectively. Yeah. Or disrespectively, right. depending on how you want to word that sentence. Right, right, right. I was a, a pretty avid watcher of MTV Unplugged when it was on. Yep. I remember that as well. And I also, what I remember was that neither Eric Singer nor Bruce Kulick got an awful lot of screen time. They definitely no. focused on Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley until Ace Frehley and Peter Chris came out and then back onto Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. But it it didn't matter because the adaptations of the songs that they did were so good, a, yeah. a testament to how good of songwriters they are, that they were able to play them in that sort of pared down style and still make them compelling to listen to. It's a great record, too. Yeah, what was really interesting was their song choice, too, because I remember them doing Coming Home, mm-hmm. which is off the Hotter Than Hell album, which... Hotter Than Hell album doesn't have a lot of singles on it that right. you're going to know if you're a casual Kiss fan. Right. And yeah, I remember them playing Coming Home. And I also remember them doing Beth. You know, of course yep. they're going to do Beth because they're going to give Peter Chris something to do. <laughs> you know, Beth as a song played on acoustic guitars was beautiful. Yep. You know, why on God's green earth on the Kiss concerts, besides giving everybody in the band a, a chance to go sit down in the back... But, like, they always had Peter Chris like, sing over a, a, a track. Yeah. The orchestral track. And it's like, no, play that song on guitar. It sounds awesome. I think it's because orchestral component to it is, is, is so integrated with it that you just can't separate the two anymore. And, uh, and it, it's, I don't know. And the other thing, too, is consistency. Of all the pieces and parts that make that song work with the karaoke style track, the inconsistent part is Peter Chris. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, if, if 90% of it is consistent, even if he's off his game, it's still going to sound yeah. okay. At least the karaoke sounded right, good. Right, at least the karaoke sounded good. All right, so moving on to the celebrity birthdays, here is a man that I don't think ever sang over an orchestral recorded track because he's one of the greatest guitar players in rock and roll history. March the 6th, 1946, David Gilmore ah, of Pink Floyd. Ah, yes. The man who I try to emulate as I clumsily practice Pink Floyd songs on my guitar, my neglected guitar. Love David Gilmore as a guitar player. And has a great voice, too. It sings, can sing like mad. His voice is silky. Like, it's a very smooth and beautiful voice. But he also has that kind of, like, rock and roll growl and bark to him like he does in Time right. and the Nile song as well. Right, right. You know what I love? Whenever somebody will say... I think, 
I think that the guitar solo in Comfortably Numb is probably the greatest guitar solo in rock. Yeah, what a freaking edgy opinion you got there. Wow. You're so metal. You're such an edgy guy coming out with saying that. Of course it's the greatest guitar solo. Right. That's well established. I was just listening to um, Pete Townsend's White City where Gilmore plays lead on, I think, two full songs and gives some guitar for other pieces as well. But he does yep. the full lead for Give Blood and the full lead for Face to Face. And yep. those songs are so good. And his playing is so distinctive. You can pick it out of even somebody as bombastic as Pete Townsend in such an overproduced yeah. record. You can still pick out David Gilmore just going to town uh, in, in those records. Fantastic guitar yep. player. All right, moving on. March 7th, 1946. Uh, Non-Boston native, but a man who's voice is pretty much associated with Boston. Peter Wolf, longtime singer ah. of the horrifically underrated band, the Jay Giles Band. What a weird band for me to be obsessed with as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was super into the Jay Giles Band. They were one of my favorites. And like I had jumped on board with them, you know, pretty late in the in the in the game, like right around Love Stinks. So that's that's uh, what that's when I started to listen to. My dad brought that record home. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the second Second to last album with Peter Wolf he, on it. But yeah. they have a huge catalog prior to that. I went back and bought, you know, older albums from the Jay Giles band and loved all of them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're 70s stuff. You know, a lot more blues based, a lot more like almost like party rock yeah. for the, for its time, you yep. know. Not party rocking by uh, LM, LMFLO, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. I know what you Not mean. Like, I can't see Peter Wolf. Yeah, I can't see Peter Wolf going like, you know, every day I'm shuffling. But, no. But yeah, they were just a, a great and like you said, criminally underrated band. I only started listening to their older stuff in the surprisingly recent past, like within the last like four or five years. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I didn't even realize that they had that many records before friggin' Freeze Frame came out. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, or, or Love Stinks came out, for example. I started bumping into singles on a couple of different radio stations that I listened to. And I was like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. And it turns out it's like from 1974 and it's Jake Giles It's like first I look at the purse, which is a song that makes yep. me laugh my ass off every single time I hear it. Interesting bits about Peter Wolf before we move on. Sure. Is uh, he's actually from the Bronx. He's from New York. And <laughs> his first roommate was film director David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How'd you like to be in that apartment? I can imagine. I wonder if the uh, if the David Lynch movie that's on Netflix where he interrogates the monkey is uh, anything to do like with his relationship with Peter Wolf as a college student. I'm not the person to ask. Uh, <laughs> it's a question for David Lynch or Peter uh, Peter Wolf. All right, uh, moving on to March the eighth, nineteen seventy six. Freddie Prince Jr., probably best known as a writer for the WWE. <laughs> I think he's prob- probably best known as the star of Wing Commander. Remember that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that video game. Yeah, well, there's a movie um, that was based on it that wasn't very good. Uh, okay. He- uh, Freddie Prince Jr., uh, probably best known, I think I'm going to guess. Uh, he did a bunch of kind of like those teen rom-coms like she's all that and stuff like that but he was also in the scooby-doo movies he was he was fred yep uh he's married to sarah michelle geller yes and she they was do... she was velma uh, not velma she was uh daphne yes and uh and they do like dishwasher commercials now oh and <laughs> yeah but yeah like what an odd turn of uh career he got out of acting and he was a writer 
He was a scriptwriter for the WWE for a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unusual. You know, that seems like a weird career path, but there he is. Ah, you know, if you can get your way in and writing is writing. If you can get a job writing, you have skills. Period. Yep. Like, you know, you're better than 99.999% of the people who write. If you can yep. land and, the job doing it. And he's also a, probably a big, you know, wrestling super fan, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> he owns a wrestling league now. Yes, he does. All right, moving on to the ninth. March 9th, 1955, Italian actress uh, Ornella Muti, who you may know. Who? Yes. <laughs> who you may know from such films as The Flash Gordon from 1980. And Os- oh, wow. Yeah, she, was, she played uh, Ming's daughter. Yes. yes. She is stunning. Yeah. She's like... Like, I don't like looking directly at you. You're too beautiful. I got to catch you from an angle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll always remember her yelling, no, not the bullworms. Every from the, <laughs> seeing that film, even as a child. Yeah. She was also in the Sylvester Stallone comedy. And I say that with air quotes because it wasn't very funny. Oscar, where she played Sylvester Stallone's wife. That said, she was very funny in that stupid movie. Because her <laughs> delivery of lines was like the Boreworms line, except it was every single line she had. She just yelled it at Sylvester Stallone. It was a riot. <laughs> All right, moving on to March the 10th. Another beautiful woman, born in 1957, Shannon Tweed. Ah, yes. Who is a former Playboy bunny and wife now, uh, begrudgingly the wife, of uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Are they are they actually married or are they still just uh, together? Yes. Okay, because I remember like no, interviews no, they, were... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was, yeah they, w- they were together mm-hmm. for a very, very long time and he resisted uh, getting married, but she finally convinced him. Uh, probably... So, yep. Uh, yeah, they're married. She's, she probably had to sign off on his Viagra prescription and that was, that was what did it. <laughs> yes, I remember she, she did a bunch of guest spots on TV shows when I was a kid. And yeah, she did a few movies too. Do you remember Hot Dog? Oh movie? my god, yeah, I remember Hot Dog the movie. She was in that. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie yeah, in a long time. She, yeah, she was the. Uh, so there was Sunny. That was like the the girl with the big mouth that everybody secretly had a crush on. But Shannon Tweed was like the the object of attraction in that one. Yeah, uh, David Naughton's in that movie. Yeah, too. I remember David Naughton in that. But it's just. Yep. Uh, all right, March eleventh, nineteen sixty nine. Uh, Terrence Howard. The, ver- the first Rhodey Rhodes from Iron Man and star of some other stuff is born. Terrence Howard was probably <laughs> best known before his role in Iron Man, though. He was in Roll Bounce, which was a roller skating movie. <laughs> probably best known from Movie 43. Movie 43. Oh, Movie 43, right? <laughs> He's the, the, the coach, the basketball the, coach. The basketball coach, yeah. yeah. That movie's terrible, but that scene was so funny. He was complaining that he was paid way less than Robert Downey Jr. for his role in Iron Man. And I wonder why that is. They were going to reduce his pay for Iron Man 2. And he's like, you're not reducing my pay. You can't do that. I'm worth way more. And at the time, he had been Oscar nominated for uh-huh. for stuff and, and had like prestige pictures that were lined up. And they said, okay, get out. And he was like, well, wait now. And it was too late. He was gone. And they, <laughs> the door was already closed. Yeah, yeah. yeah they <laughs> found himself standing on the street holding his resume. And they replaced him. And since then, he's done a couple of things. Sort of, and now he sort of gives motivational speeches and talks about how he was wronged, and there's some like space aliens and or Jesus stuff, and I don't know. He's, about a, he's you, out dude. there. If I'm gonna take motivational uh, lectures from somebody, it's gonna be from somebody that succeeded in business. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, I don't want to go to Terrence Howard negotiation school skills. 
Yeah. First, what you do you throw down an ultimatum. It's either this or I'm out. Uh, uh, Can you imagine, dude? Because the Iron Man movie, Iron Man 1, was not the first, but kind of the first in the MCU. Right. And wow, did he get too greedy too fast and shot himself in the foot, man. You, I mean, I'm quite sure the guy's not starving. You know, right. I'm, not, I'm sure he's not eating ramen noodles over the sink. But, man, he, it could have been a lot bigger for him, for sure. Yeah, it's and it's a shame because he's a good actor, too. That was yeah. one of his one of his strengths is the quality of of work that he did. But you know, quality. Only yeah, goes so I remember far. seeing the first Iron Man movie and seeing him as Rhodey. I was like, oh, cool! I like this guy. Yep. All right, and then we're gonna wrap up the week on March the twelfth of nineteen forty six with American actress and American sweetheart yeah. uh, Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli, I remember her from such oh. films as Cabaret. Yeah. Liza Minnelli is the daughter of Judy Garland yes. of Wizard of Oz fame and uh, inherited uh, much from her mother, including her singing voice and a couple of other substance abuse problems, I guess we could say. Mm. But Liza Minnelli has had a very long and successful career. You know, mostly this like almost like Broadway singing or, yes. uh, you know, Vegas singing and yep. stuff like that. And made the transition late in her career. To, to character acting, as, as uh, you and I were talking about before we recorded today, where she played Lucy Lostero on Arrested Development and absolutely... Yeah, just, Lucy too, yeah. Absolutely just walked away with that role. And that's so funny. I remember watching it. Whenever they introduced the character, I was like, that's Liza Minnelli. <laughs> like, of, of all yep. people. Because, you know, Liza Minnelli's reputation has been a songstress. Yeah. And my... Lord, that woman killed it. Oh yeah, she was so funny yep. in that part. She she absolutely and, owned every scene that she was in on that show. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who rolled the dice and said we got to get Liza Minnelli, but man, what a smart choice that was. was she was fantastic was in that. She did. So, it was so funny. Like I I felt bad laughing as hard as I did because her character had had vertigo and like yes, it like kept falling over stuff and like this all this like crazy ass physical comedy that she was doing and she's like she's born in nineteen forty six, man. She's right. She's <laughs> not the springiest of chickens, but she's still like throwing <laughs> herself into tables and fountains and up and down the stairs. Oh, it's so funny. I'm not really a big musical theater fan, which is you know where she made her bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the stuff is okay, but to me, I don't know, musical theater is just worst song ever all right jeff uh what is our pick this week for the worst song ever all right bill our i'm gonna i'm gonna start it like right in and tell you the song and then we'll go get into the talk here you never do that i know but this this, i don't want you to yell at me for not doing that so that's why i'm gonna do that (laughs) now so the song this week is smooth which is a duet between carlos santana and rob thomas from the band matchbox 20 Saw's record I don't came know. Out in, it's not so much a duet. It's a duet between Rob Thomas and Carlos Santana. It's a guitar. I, I, yeah, that's 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 really a good way to describe it. It's actually it's like Carlos Santana playing on a Rob Thomas record. Yes, well, you you can cut that up into the any shape size pizza you like, but that's that's ultimately what you end up with. All right. Well, here's the clip. Oh, 
from the, the studio recording, studio album, it's not like live or anything, that Santana put out called Supernatural. And in it, it's a, it's a collection of duets that he does with, again, popular folks in the adult contemporary pop music community. Like, right. Lauryn Hill and CeeLo Green did a song. Somebody who calls himself The Product, G&B. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who that is. And uh, there's a long-ass instrumental towards the end with uh, with Eric Clapton, too. I remember this being a kind of an okay record. The songs that stand out are the ones that were the singles, and that's like the this Rob Thomas uh, and, and Santana song, Smooth. And we'll talk more about that song in just a minute, and then Put Your Lights On featuring Everlast, which I remember liking a little bit more than the other single, but not as much as like Santana's more classic things. I don't know. I like, he's not really in my sphere of music that I listen to a lot. I hear him on classic radio and I'm like, Oh, it's black magic woman. The only song of Santana's that I know. <laughs> right. The, you know? the other song I really knew was evil ways. And, and here's a fun fact up until today, did not know that was Santana. <laughs> It, it, you could very easily mix those two songs up and you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, he's got a... You know? Apparently, if you only know those two songs, you can see that he's got a type. This right. album, this album, Supernatural, I mean, Santana's been around forever. Well, Santana's the name of the band. And yes. he's uh, Carlos Santana's the only constant member in that band, right. which is a good goddamn thing they named the band after him. It makes right. things very, very less confusing. It does make it does make it a lot less uh, confusing and a lot easier. This album that came out in 1999, so Carlos Santana already had a career that was way over 20 years. Mm -hmm. This is the album that it was very popular. I mean, you could not shake a dead cat around without hitting that smooth song. No, and which, and it still gets played on like the river or like Mike yeah. FM or you know Chuck FM or whatever. It's in moderate rotation. I hear it every couple of days. Yeah, and let the record show that I don't think that shaking a dead cat around is a any any <laughs> like kind of good time. But, it's a strange um, measurement. I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, yeah. I realize we'll do anything to avoid using the metric system, but you know, <laughs> swinging swinging around so, a dead cat as a measure of of how often something happens is is a tough one to quantify. But this was the album where like it was insanely popular. Everybody was going out and buying it. It went you know mega platinum. And all these people got to, like, make believe that they were already into Santana. No, you're not. Santana <laughs> is an amazing guitar player. I right. know this because I've been told all my life that Santana is an amazing guitar player. But he's not, like, a singles guy. Yeah. And he's Mexican. And he plays a very Spanish style of guitar, which, yes. you know, comes and goes in popularity but never really stays. Yes. In, you know, not in the United States anyway. Santana is from that tradition of like late, late 60s and 1970s arena jam band, like really hardcore crowd that knows and loves them and follows them around kind of mm -hmm. band. And I'm just not in that. And they, they don't get a ton of airplay because they don't, they're not a singles band. Their records are like yes records, you know? Yeah. It's like with, with yeah. similar lineup changes, yeah. Yeah, similar lineup changes, and instead of changing through sixteen different song structures, it's just like four guitar solos of nine minutes each. Sometimes now, featuring just Carlos Santana, but sometimes it's passing it back and forth with like Neil Sean or someone else in the band, you know. And it's way more jazzy than I'm I'm used to as well. I did what I normally do. I put on a mix uh, a mix playlist of Santana songs. 
And much like the Black Eyed Peas a couple of weeks ago, I barely even noticed that it was on because I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this is good. Oh, this mm -hmm. is good. Oh, And then right. I would hit songs that I don't like, and they all came off of this Supernatural album. Yeah. Uh, another thing, because this, uh, this song in particular, we shouldn't be even be picking on Santana because Santana is, you know, quite awesome. I will pick on Rob Thomas until my dying breath, though, because, <laughs> one, Matchbox 20... That came at the like the the mid '90s, the late '90s, which was like the death throes of alternative, where alternative right. had become just as watered down as metal had become watered down ten years before. And I was listening to some Matchbox Twenty in protest uh, today, and they're a country band. Yeah, that 3 a.m. song. That's a country song. Yeah, they definitely have that that crossover country feel if you listen to them, and and it's not unusual. They fall into the same listener profile as like the Dave Matthews Band, Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah, it's the adult contemporary of the '90s. Yeah, what the uh, sappy love songs of the '70s were. That stuff is the the sappy love songs of the '90s. And another thing, Rob Thomas, two things. One, he doesn't emote a lot when he sings. He kind of keeps like the same straight face. It's almost right. like a cut scene from a video game on the PlayStation 3. <laughs> and two... Sing live from Uncanny Valley, right? Another thing about Rob Thomas, he look, look at him. Picture him in your mind's eye, right? Yes. He looks like Elijah Wood and Sean Astin from Lord of the Rings got put in a Hatteron collider. He looks like both of them overlaid over each other. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of does. He does look like that. His appearance doesn't do the video for Smooth any favors either, which is a, a pretty well like well put together video. It was shot almost like a film style, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. slow motion and bright colors and like dancing in the street. And which we we know, Bill from the worst song ever, always makes for the best videos when you're dancing dancing in the street. Yes. And yes. <laughs> it, it looks like it's sort of a one-take like street party scene, but I'm sure Carlos Santana was like, all right, well, you had me for three hours, and they're up now, so see ya. And yeah. uh, and disappeared with his guitar. Yeah, and, and Santana definitely emotes more. You can tell he emotes more wearing sunglasses than Rob Thomas does singing. I don't know. I got a problem with it. That's that's my problem. And, this, this, so. you know... The the song doesn't doesn't hew into the sort of jazzy stuff that Santana is more known for, and it doesn't hew into the more country sort of poppy stuff that Rob Thomas is known for. It just sort of straddles the two, and it doesn't they don't it doesn't straddle them well. They don't mix together as a, as styles, and it's a shame because the song isn't lyrically isn't terrible. It's just it's not memorable. And the other songs on this record are a little bit better, but this one is definitely the lead single and the one that still gets played the most, so that's why it's on the worst song ever. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of albums like this, too. Uh, Elton John just put out an album. What they do is they take a, a band or an artist that has kind of, like, run their course, and then they hook them up with a bunch of contemporary artists... And then they sell a bazillion records. I think they record those like this, too. It's like, hey, we're gonna, we've, got a, we've got this guy's half a song. You know, we're just going to cut out yeah. the these parts. Here, you do those parts. Like when they stitch together Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand into You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Like that's oh, how the they fat made that boys song. With the beach, with oh, the fat yes. boys with the Beach Boys, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, were, they couldn't be available to record that song because they were out cashing their check. Another album that was like that was the, uh, the very popular and always well-received 
uh, Daft Punk album, uh, Random Access Memories from a couple of years ago, where yep. everybody just suddenly like started making believe that they were super into Daft Punk. No, right. you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. Nope. <laughs> not unless you're not unless you're like a Romanian dance club guy. So what makes this song memorable for me is the guitar like lick that leads the song is almost the solo from Black Magic Woman. If you listen to the no, two, they're yeah. very similar. He's got a style. He's got he's got All a right. type. But before we uh, wrap up the show, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Uh-oh. Yeah. On the album covers by Megadeth, they are commonly adorned by a young man uh, who is a skeleton with wraparound sunglasses that are bolted to his face and uh, his mouth is wired shut. That young man has a name. What is the name of Mike of Megadeth's mascot? Uh, this is an easy one, Bill. No, it's not. It is. It's not that hard. I mean, I'm not a okay. huge. I'm not a huge Megadeth fan either. Okay. But even I know that his name is is Vic. Yeah. I, I, Vic it's what? Like, it's like Battlehead or Battleface or something like it's akin to that. I always knew him as Vic. Yeah, it's I Vic. Just go with him. It's Vic Rattlehead. I was pretty close. Yeah, I'll give you half a point. I'll take the half a point and run with it. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. All right, bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. You can find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, Twibbly is like candy. It's more fun when you share. What? No. Who writes this? That's not like candy at all. <laughs>